Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you know us better than ourselves. You know us better than the people we live with and the people we work with. You understand how we work. We understand what's important to us and what's not important to us. And this morning we say, or I say on behalf of us, we need your life, we need your touch. We need your words of life, we need the touch of your life. Father, we live in challenging times. And it's so easy for the culture and the world we live in to shape our hearts. And so we ask you again, would you come to us as vulnerable, weak people to renew our hearts, renew our minds this morning with your extraordinary love. Touch our lives again, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Renew us, we pray. Strengthen us again, we pray. Put our feet on solid ground again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this morning we're looking at this chunk of scripture from 9.32 onwards, where Peter, it's a sort of a seismic piece of scripture in a way, where Peter is welcoming into uh, God's people, into the community of faith, into the community of Christians, in the family of God, people who weren't Jewish, non-Jewish converts, were being welcomed into God's family. And now, this is new ground. This is quite significant in the history of the church. And 2,000 years on, I'm pretty much going to say, we're here because of this. We're here because of the account that's being told and being recounted here by Luke. And the thing is this, as I've been rereading, and this week I've been rereading bits of Acts, just refamiliarizing myself from different bits, I'm just reminded again how extraordinary it is when God gets manifestly at work on earth. How amazing it is when we hear and we see and we observe, whether it's in our lives or others' lives, that God is at work. When someone tells a story of God's uh, work in their lives, when I listened on whatever day it was to the, the prayer breakfast, faith is renewed. Our faith is renewed as God is at work. And a couple of weeks ago when John preached so powerfully on Saul's dramatic conversion experience on the Damascus Road, we see a life literally that changes direction radically. A life that was headed in one direction, and now a life headed in a very different direction. And that's what God has been doing generation after generation, looking for people who want to respond to his heart, his purposes, and revealing Jesus and his saving grace to them. And I'd like to just encourage you this morning, uh, a little bit of a kind of hangover from John's prayer, John's preach is that if God can do that in Saul's life, then he can do it in yours and mine. However good or however bad you think your life is this morning, you are not beyond God's reach.
Let me just start in verse 32. I'm going to read bits of it as we go along then. 9.32. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. He probably didn't say it that fiercely. Sorry, I just realised as I said that. But get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In the Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became ill and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood round him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, and especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So what have we got here? What we've got here is Peter venturing from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean coast, and he stops at this place called, called Lydda which is beside the main road that goes, the east-west road that goes from the Judean hills um, down to what is now Tel Aviv, which is called Joppa. And there Peter dramatically heals a paralytic man. And as a consequence of that, and partly also maybe because of what he said, they respond to what he says by believing in Jesus Christ. Peter is then summoned to Joppa by his friends, where he performs another miracle by raising this girl, Tabitha, from the dead. What we see in here and what we see in this section is that same thing of words and deeds that we've seen throughout our, our account in Acts before, and we see in the life of Jesus. Words and deeds go together. Signs of the kingdom of God at work in our lives. We then see right at the end of the section we read that Peter then lodges with a tanner. Now, you may think that's just sort of slightly obscure in a way, but tanners were untouchable in the Mosaic law because tanners dealt with dead animals and therefore they were unclean and not the kind of people that godly, good people would be associating with. But Peter here lodges with the tanner. And this is radical, this is dramatic in the sense of what it means to be God's people. What we find here is, a, in a sense, is a physical sign that Peter's staying with him of what God is beginning to do. Because through Peter, God is revealing the move beyond the Mosaic laws where the, what the Gentiles, essentially the people, we, us here, the non-Jewish people, are being welcomed into the Christian community. It's a radical shift, and we can see that uh, carried on in the next bit. So then if we read the, 
uh, the next bit in verses 1 to 8 in chapter 10. So we'll pick it up at verse 1 of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. This was a deeply religious man. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. Just some beautiful interaction in that. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So what we find is this devout man called Cornelius has a vision from, in a sense, nowhere, and a summons, uh, summons Peter north to Caesarea. The bit in chapter 10 that we then go find on is, is an encounter Cornelius then relates, and Peter then subsequently has a vision about the food laws. I think I've spoken on this before, so I'm not going to actually go through that very much this morning. In which what we find is, through this, is God is proclaiming his impartial welcome to everybody. The welcome of God is going beyond a specific group to say it is for all. And the barriers and the boundaries that are being put are being broken down. But the condition is this, he who accepts and believes in the forgiveness of sins and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What we find at the end of that passage is we then find is the Holy Spirit then shows up to demonstrate God's full acceptance of Peter's message and they're baptized. So if we then move on to chapter 11, it just, we then count Peter explaining what has just happened. So if we read 11 verses 1 to 18. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Can you hear the outrage? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to where I looked, where I was, sorry. I looked into it and saw four uh, four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men, who had been sent to me from Caesarea, stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. 
as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And when I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objection and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. As I've read and reread some of the passages, some of which you'll be well known, some of which may, may not be that familiar, I just want to remind us of a few things this morning. Firstly, I'm reminded as I reread these again that Christianity is at its heart all about revelation. Somehow, some way, God will have revealed something of himself to you, which is why you're sat here this morning. God has revealed himself somehow, in some way, to you, which is why you'll be sat here this morning. Unless the Spirit of God in some form is at work in your life revealing something of who God is and who Jesus is, then actually there's nothing in a sense to say, to say it is about Jesus and it's revealed to us. And of course, here that revelation, and we see that throughout this whole kind of bit of scripture, is through a whole mixture of things. It's through Peter faithfully teaching and preaching. It's through Peter having the boldness to simply command the dead to come to life, to go and heal people. It's also through all sorts of other bits we'll come to, of visions, of dreams. Consider in these passages how God is breaking into people's lives. And it takes, in a sense, Peter's simple obedience to respond to God's call in his life for actually some of these things for us to be able to read them today and to see an account of them, to open his mouth and to engage his hands. In a sense, it is as simple as that, and that's where it starts to open our mouths and to offer our hands to the work of God. Now, I know Peter comes. We're seeing this after many years of Peter serving the Lord and doing various things. But it's reminded that actually if we want to see God at work, God wants to use us and to choose to use us, and he's able to do it. But actually it comes with a kind of sense of are we willing to offer ourselves for the use of, uh, for the glory of God. I think it was famously John Wimber who used to say in his church, said, we used to pray for nobody and nobody got healed. We now pray for everybody and some people get healed. And in that kind of thing, in the dramatic bit of these healing narratives, reminded that actually it does take and will take some boldness, but also the fact you've got to be prepared to fail which is uncomfortable. If you don't want to look foolish, then it's probably the healing ministry probably isn't for you. You've got to be prepared to say, actually, if you have some kind of sense of that's what you're called to do, then actually we look for the opportunity to bless people, to pray for people, to offer, to stand in the gap for people who are suffering in all sorts of different ways and just realise it is a work of God. Peter didn't raise these people. Peter didn't... Peter. Peter didn't heal his people, but God used him to do that as he put himself there. 
What we also find in these, as well as some of the teaching, the preaching, the miracles, we also see visions, we see a divine encounter, we see an angel uh, coming to appear. And actually, I just want to make the really simple point this morning. In all our learning, in all our desire to be good disciples, in all the kind of things, our disciplines of what it means to be a kind of group of Christians, let's not lose sight of the fact it's God who reveals himself to us. It's his word we want to hear. It's his voice we want to hear. And our longing is to receive each day daily bread. It doesn't mean to say you have ten visions before breakfast, but there are ways of hearing God's voice through his word, through listening to others, through praying, through being still, through engagement with our world. And learning, it's a lifelong learning of hearing the voice of God and recognizing God's voice in our lives that becomes our daily bread, as well as all the other things. And we get the privilege of being part of that. We're in the same line as Peter of putting ourselves in that place of being part of what God has done to us, <coughs> done in our lives, and sharing that. Secondly, I would just want to talk a little bit about newness and about hiding, actually. It's amazing to reflect on how radical what is happening here is when we look back. History obviously enables us to look back and to see literally through these visions, God is changing all sorts of things. He's coming in a fresh way. The gospel is expanding into new and to different areas. The Gentiles, the great unwashed, like you and me, are being welcomed into God's family. Boundaries are being shattered and broken to enable God to reach and touch his people. The food laws are changing. Tabitha is raised from the dead. Peter is staying in an unclean man's house. You know, when Jesus described, and the Bible describes, the ministry of God's kingdom is to make all things new. We see it here in bundles in this passage. God is making all things new. That's one of the signs of God's work at hand at work, his spirit at work. And to this, bear in mind, the people who are part of the religious establishment would be so appalled, and we get that in the text a little bit as well. This would be embarrassing, alarming, unsettling, offensive. But Peter called by God, has the courage to walk in obedience to what God is calling him to. He's prepared to walk that place of where God has called him to. And so it just reminds me a little bit this morning, just very simply, are we willing to tread new ground or have we got a bit stuck? Are we willing to walk to those new places where God might be prompting you to do something new or to get involved in something new or to do something new? Or actually, have you just got a bit stuck? It's so tempting, particularly for those, who've been, those of us who've been Christians for a very long time, to kind of get stuck in a particular season of our lives when things were great, whatever that, whatever that meant, whatever great means. But God longs to use us in every season of our lives. No particular season is more important than the other season. 
And God constantly wants to draw us, enable us, and to prompt us by his Spirit into the life he has called us to. So this morning, is God calling you forward and onward rather than just a stick? One of the things that slightly interested, and we've had some conversations as a staff at different times for what we find in Scripture, there's a whole theme in Scripture and throughout Scripture of the human condition of wanting to hide. To hide from God. It sounds strange in a way, because we like to think of God, but when we think of who God is, the holiness of God, the wonder of God, the splendor of God, the majesty of God, what we find is people hiding for all sorts of different reasons, whether it's Adam and Eve in the garden, whether it's Moses hiding away in the desert in shame because he knows he's done lots of bad things. Elijah hiding in fear from Jezebel or hiding under a tree in despair. Jonah running away from God. The disciples abandoning Jesus at the crucial hour. So as we see, as we observe here, Peter and Cornelius boldly stepping forward. So I'm challenged. And I'm also passing that on to you this morning. They're not hiding, are we? As we worship God, as we think, as we offer our hearts to him and our songs, our prayers, our just being still before him, will we put our trust again in Christ and his providence in our life, his work in our lives? not just to follow a formula and not just to follow this particular vicar's teaching or this, that and the other, but to hear God's voice again, to recognize the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to be devoted, but also to then do something with it. I've been reading a bit again with Leslie Newbigin, the great um, missiologist who broadly says something to, it, to this. He said, the church so often is absolutely consumed about what it believes when actually what you should be more concerned about is what it does with what it believes that's the issue a london businessman named lindsay clegg told the story of a warehouse property that he was selling he was a buyer and seller of properties in the city and the building that he owned was a warehouse that had been used for industrial stuff but it'd been abandoned for many months and actually was beginning to look terrible. It needed repairs everywhere. People had damaged it and come in. Vandals had destroyed it. They'd smashed windows. They'd put strewn rubbish and stuff all over the floors. And the interior looked dreadful. And he was showing every prospective buyer around. And Clegg was at pains to say to this prospective buyer, oh, don't worry, don't worry. Before, before you buy this, I'll tidy up. I'll make sure it's all clean. I'll mend the windows. I'll do all those things. I'll bring a crew to correct the structural things that need doing, to make sure that when we, if we do do a deal, that actually it'll be in good order. And the buyer simply said this. He said, forget about the repairs. When I buy this, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building. I want the site. And for us, compared to the renovation and the restoration work that God has in mind in our lives, our efforts to really try and make ourselves worthy before God, to show ourselves worthy, to improve ourselves, can be as trivial as trying to sweep away the dust in that old warehouse. When we become gods, 
when our life is entirely God's, our old life is gone. 2 Corinthians 5. Old life is gone. He makes all things new. What God longs for is the sight of our lives and permission to build in our lives. That's what he longs for. And thirdly, I just want to mention something about spreading. The gospel here and in these passages and acts is challenging and moving and dramatic. And what we see is a movement, a spreading of the gospel. It's a living gospel. It's an active gospel. And we see people come to faith. We see dramatic things happen. But Jesus is literally moving outwards, if you see what I mean. The gospel is active. God is active by his spirit in this world. And Acts records that sense of how dramatic the impact was, going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is what we're witnessing in these texts. The gospel is moving, it's spreading, it's going. And actually for me, that becomes a challenge in our generation, and for me in my own life. Do I think of the gospel like that? Are we experiencing the gospel in that way? Have we registered that God has entrusted us with that good news? And so my challenge, and I know we've talked about this before, but it's also right here at the heart of so many of these passages is this. If we receive the good news, then God is entrusting us to find people to share it with. It's not a private matter. It's not a private matter. You may hear be sat here this morning thinking, do you know, Tim, I don't know how to start. I don't even know begin to know. I know I need to do it, but I don't know how. But God, it maybe just starts again with just reminding yourself that God has entrusted good news to you. And he wants to help you learn how to pass that on to others. And it may be just simply asking his help to do that. You know, there's an old line that used, to say, I think it's probably an old chorus, I can't remember, it's where it talks about one will tell another. Well, on its simplest level, you know, yes, I can stand here, I can sit here for all the hours of the week and simply pray that God sends a whole load of people from nowhere to fill this church. But that isn't really what God's looking for. He's just not looking to fill a building. He's looking to set lives on fire with love for him and to to discover the wonder of working and the the joy of serving and working with him in partnership. And that's a place where faith grows, when we're living and working with God. And as see here, as Peter responds, he calls, he preaches, he teaches, and yes, this is after many years' ministry as well. We are seeing Peter doing extraordinary things. But bear in mind where he came from when we think of the New Testament. As he steps into the Tanner's house, as we see him responding to the visions, his obedience, his willingness to follow God, to step out for God, radically changes lives, radically changes the church. The gospel moves, the good news spreads. It's an amazing gift. One day, a there was a telephone salesman who called a home one day. And at the end of the phone, this you can tell I was in the old days when there were you know, normal phones, not mobiles. And, and um, uh, a small voice answered the phone at, at the end of, uh, when he called. And it simply said, hello? 
And the telephone salesman said, hello, um, what's your name? Still whispering, the voice said, Jimmy. How old are you, Jimmy? I'm four. Good. Is your, is your mum home? Yes, but she's busy. Okay, is your, is your dad home? Um, he's busy too. I see, is there anybody else at home? Yes, the police are here. The police? Can I, can I speak to the police? Could I speak to one of them? They're very busy. <laughs> Any other grown-ups there? The firemen. May I speak to a fireman, please? They're all really busy. The telephone salesman said this. said, Jimmy, all those people in your house, and I can't talk to any of them, what are they doing? Looking for me, whispered Jimmy. <laughs> this morning, it is an amazing thing to think that the God of the universe is looking for our attention. He's looking for our attention. He's longing to touch our hearts and our lives. And I know I'm in the same boat in many ways, in different ways, the temptation to hide, and the temptation not to kind of feel like, you know, I'm the person to step into this is massive. But this morning, will you simply renew your trust in him? Embrace the gift of life and the way he's revealed himself to you already because you're sat here? but also commit to long to grow, to be more like him and for his purposes, and welcome in those who God gives us in our lives. Let's pray. Just going to ask you if, if um, any of this morning has been particularly helpful to you um, actually just before we respond in worship I'm just going to encourage you, I'm going to do it as well just put one of your hands on your heart um, as a response saying Heavenly Father you know us better than we know ourselves and we offer ourselves afresh to you would you renew our hearts this morning as we read the accounts and acts it's very easy to be intimidated about what we're not or where we fall short but I want to thank you that you long to use us for your glory and for your splendor and your majesty pray Holy Spirit would you fall afresh upon us renew us I pray Would our hearts burn with a love for you and a love to serve you? Would we be hungry for you? And Father, I pray for the things of this world, particularly this morning as I was preparing this morning, whether things of this world really have just grabbed our heart's attention to such a degree that we're struggling to find you, Jesus. Just ask you would set us free. We forgive us where we put other things ahead of you. Would you help us this week to step in, to make time and discover the joy of serving you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.